Welcome to the Hospitality Maverick podcast with me, Michael Tingsa. We at Hospitality Mavericks are here to inspire leaders to create heart-centered and profitable businesses from the inside out, the kind that both employees and customers love and support. In this episode, I talk with strategic leadership consultant and trainer, Davey Clayson, who is the co-founder of Talent for Performance. And they are helping leaders achieving better performance by getting people to do what they're best at. I really was looking forward to this conversation due to leadership development is a passion of my own, but also and more because David is so good at taking very complex leadership thinking and concepts and making them applicable for you as a leader. Our conversation covers a lot of things, but areas as the importance of self-leadership in the times of massive uncertainty and what you should be doing as a leader right now to move your team forward through the uncertainty. And also, we are discussing what kind of employee will you be leading in the future and taking into account that business and people have now changed for good. We also discuss the power of meditation and tuning into yourself as a key tool to excel as a leader in the moment. David will give you a bucket of implementable leadership advice. You are in for something very special. So grab your headphones, your notebook, your coffee, your drink, and enjoy. Today we are in early, early mid-September, I would say, uh, and uh, there's a lot going on out there. We are in 2020. The pandemic is is still still going on on its highest, and we probably even have a, a bit of a setback now when it comes to the hospitality industry and. Uh, you know, we all are like trying to find our way through the uh, the wilderness that is in the moment. And of course, that demands extreme leadership. And actually, that's what we're going to be talking about today, because I've been very lucky to hook up with uh, David uh, Clayson, who is a strategic leadership development and trainer and consultant. And the most exciting thing David works a lot with is also he understands something around behavioral change and change in general and this is actually exactly where we are in the biggest change process probably for decades or in history when it comes to to our industry and other industry so david welcome to the uh, the podcast thank you thanks great to be here and for people that haven't heard about you before and what you're up to can you give them a bit of like you know your your version of uh, how you ended uh, as a strategic leadership person uh, because that was not where the whole thing started out it actually started out in hospitality didn't it it did yeah i grew up in uh, ireland in dublin um of dutch parents so that's why my name is is a dutch name my father was from amsterdam my mother was from harlem they moved to ireland in the 50s and i was born in the 60s and when i was growing up there were just no jobs it was like i knew in school even when i was like a teenager that there were just no jobs um everyone in, of my generation was just doing something to leave the country so i thought well i love cooking I love eating. Um, I'm always with my mother in the kitchen doing the, you know, why don't become a chef and just like get out of the country? Because there'll always, no matter what's happening in the world, be people who want to eat and wealthy people who can afford to have chefs. So I thought that's the career I'll follow. And I did. I trained in Dublin uh, for two years and then uh, immediately went to Germany. So I worked in Germany, in Frankfurt, in the five star hotels there for uh, one and a half years and then went down to Zurich. 
And then I did notice that there was a bit of discrimination going on in the mindsets, habits and behaviors of the of the continental, let's say the mainland European chefs, that if you came from the islands, i.e. UK or Ireland, they thought they were the same thing. Um, you were basically not very good at cooking. Yeah. So I heard that actually the place to go was London. So I went to London in 1983, but I got the shock of my life because, in, you know, no women in the kitchens, um, a lot of very, very angry men. And I was working in top range, top uh, level restaurants, um, Michelin star restaurants like the Connaught Hotel and places like that. It was mayhem. Um, and very, very aggressive. And quite honestly, within about five years, I was just like pretty much saying this isn't for me anymore. And I got a fantastic opportunity to become a trainer. Um, and that was just it. I got into training and development, um, became a trainer, first of all, of catering, catering lecture in 1988. And that was it. My life changed completely from, you know, all hours, 160 hours a week or whatever. We were doing crazy hours to... Um, nine to five, Monday to Friday. I couldn't believe it. It was a complete like transformation. Every day was a pure joy. And I was able to spend time doing what I loved doing because I realized when I was a chef, the only way to get my team up to speed was to train them. So the more I had a team that was competent, the more I could look to see what the next job was and the next role was and how to be able to improve my skills to the next level. So it was lovely to be able to make a career out of that. I loved doing it. And um, yeah, that was just fantastic. That's how I got out of catering was to go into training first in catering um after two years i ran my own business for a while and did some consultancy work which was interesting making training videos i made a whole series of training videos for a hotel company that was fun but then um that fell apart when the hotel company said no we're scrapping everything we're just going to um sell all the hotels and they were had 16 hotels in the uk back in those days and my project was just a little project on the side that they said no drop that i've been working on it for two years and I had no clients. So I learned what it's like to have no clients um, and then got a job as training and development manager at the Waldorf Hotel in London. So I stayed within hospitality, actually, after, le- after 10 years as a chef, pretty much, and then 10 years in training and development in hospitality. Um, but it all changed when I then got a job with Business Link for London in the, ooh, that was the late 90s. Um, and then I began to work with a lot of other businesses as well. So uh, that was an interesting transformation, too. So that's pretty much my career in a nutshell. And then I set up my own business in 2004 and joined forces with my current business partner, Ali Gibbons, to make talent for performance in 2015. So it's been an interesting career. You already touched up a couple of other times where you ended in in, in the no man's land where there was no more income coming in. Whoa, and yes. Pro- I, and I know from, uh, with all respect of age, you, you probably tried a couple of cycles before of uncertainty, but... Uh, nobody has tried what we're trying now. There's no doubt about that. But again, h- how have you actually observed all this from, from from the world, what you are doing? You are helping making leaders better and stronger and faster uh, in their job. How have you actually seen all this on, on, unfold? Well, it's been very interesting because you're right. I did have some nasty shocks throughout my career. Um, my first job as a trainer, which I loved, was made redundant back in 1990. Um, so I understand what it's like to be have your job made redundant. And I took it very personally. In fact, that's why I set up my own business. I thought, no one's ever going to do that to me again. Because as a career, as a chef, I was always able to pretty much choose where I wanted to work. Um, but then I was a trainer and suddenly someone else made a decision and said, no, your job no longer exists. So I learned how to recover from that. And then when my own com- my first business um, wasn't working anymore because I lost my main client, 
that was also a shock. I had panic attacks. I was I was having severe stress issues. Um, but I meditate every day. So that was really helpful to be able to keep mindful. And I, I really looked through all of those ups and downs that, you know, the self-awareness, doing a lot of self-development work and being mindful of your feelings and your thoughts and all of that sort of stuff really helped me to understand, well, that's what leadership is all about. Um, I meet so many leaders who are actually very, very stressed and they don't even know it um, because sometimes it's difficult to identify stress. But it's super interesting in the times we we, we live in that uh, you know the the, the self care or the self leadership is so critical uh, because uh, the amount of the layers of uncertainty they have to deal with. Uh, one week it looks like things are moving slowly ahead. There's, we are progressing. It. The next week there's three layers of uncertainty thrown at you. Uh, without you could do anything about it. It could be the pandemic evolving or it could be the politicians that make a decision. Uh, how have you seen when you look at with the, the clients you work with and uh, and you look at leadership across the across the, the globe right now, what, what are you seeing happening? How are we actually as human dealing with it? Because we're probably much more stressed than we think we are, as you say. I think we're much, much more stressed than we think we are. And it's only going to show up when... Um, you know, people start having dysfunctional experiences, relationships breaking up, um, losing lots of staff because the environment has become so toxic, uh, dysfunctional business relationships with business partners and things like that. In fact, I was just talking today with Ali, my business partner, and we were talking about that it's it, with the fractured nature of communication for a lot. Okay, a lot of hospitality is still face to face, but a lot of people are living their lives through Zoom at the moment. And that is a very difficult medium in many ways for the brain to understand because you don't have the nonverbal cues. You have very little information to go on. And that makes it stressful. So I think you're right about saying that we are all suffering quite a high level of stress at the moment. So little things can tip us over into anxiety. Um, and I'm finding, you asked me the question about what I, where, where I think leadership is. It's just very different for every individual. You know, it's really going to be when we look back at this period in maybe three, five years time, going like, well, what was your pandemic like? Because no two pandemics are the same for the experiences of people. You know, my mother died uh, in January the 1st last year, January 1st, 2019. And I'm just so pleased she didn't experience all of this stuff. She was in a home. She was frail towards, you know, she was 94. But that would have been unbelievably stressful because back in 2018, I went over to Ireland where she lived, you know, five times during the year. And now this time it's like, I can just go like, I'm at home. I'm working from home, which I often do anyway. Um, my wife works from home. She's got her own business as well. So life just ticks along quite nicely. But we know from speaking to a lot of leaders that it is very, very stressful with their businesses, um, losing massive amounts of income, the challenge of staff, having them to work and be suddenly very busy with fewer staff because some of them are still on furlough and you can barely afford to, to have them back. It's very inconsistent. Right. That, that's really where I'm seeing that there is no, oh, this is the way it is now. It's we all need to look and say, right, what's my context? Where am I at? What's going on in my brain? How am I responding to all of this? What do I have before me and how can I respond effectively? If you take that uh, before we jump down, because I want to jump down and, and, and touch a bit more on what's happening with leaders right now. But how have you actually applied this to, to your business uh, with your business partner? What have you do? Because even though it's a small business. I'm I'm sure that also you have been through a lot of scenario thinking and trying to find out what is what if something happens to our clients and 
that means that less workforce. What what have you been doing actually, and how has have this affected you as a, a small business? It's a good question because as soon as the pandemic hit and everything shut down, uh, we re- all our income just dropped off a cliff, and we knew that even with retainers, um, that. People were just too busy trying to, to cope with what was going on. So we did a lot of supportive work. We actually um, rang up clients, asked them how they were doing, if they needed any support, um, found resources that they might find useful. And we're sort of quietly there in the background and letting them know that we were quietly there in the background rather than yelling and screaming at them saying, you need to do this or you need to do that. And that's worked very well for us because now, um, well, since September or even the, the, the middle of August, We've noticed quite an uptick that now the a lot of our clients are beginning to do the things that they were planning to do in March. They're now starting to do those things, run workshops and stuff. However, instead of people coming up to a workshop, this is really interesting, right? Instead of people just coming to a workshop and going, okay, let's do a leadership development workshop or let's learn how to raise accountability or give feedback. It's now, okay, so we're going to do this online blended learning approach It means that you have to do some individual learning before you even meet us. We're going to send you some videos to watch. We're going to ask you to complete some exercises in a workbook. You have to do that before the workshop. And then we do the workshop, which is more about the discussion about the learning points. So the workshop becomes more of a discussion piece about principles and concepts and applying them to work and applying them to self rather than, oh, here's some interesting information for you. And then there has to be work in between the workshops because we're not going to take people for a whole day. We'll break it up now into uh, two-hour sessions. So we'll do two hours, and then the following week we'll do another two hours, and the following week after that we'll do another two hours. But there's work in between to practice what you've learned. So we are anticipating that this is going to be a more impactful and even better approach than just a one-day training. So actually what you have been forced out to do even if you had it on the roadmap, is actually to build this online model that actually is more effective for everyone and and more and 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 actually also have bigger uptake when it comes to because in in the end the outcome or the results you're looking at when you do leadership development is a behavioral change in principle in your organization. Absolutely, but it is a different style because when again when you're on a workshop or uh, in a workshop you can read the room, you can see where people are at, you can see who's getting it, who's not. It's very easy to organize little groups of discussions and you can easily observe what all those discussions are doing and how they're progressing. Online, it's very fractured. It's very, you're blinded. And sometimes you'll be running a workshop and half the people won't even have their screens on. So you don't even know if they're there. So, you know, engagement also is very different. So I've been now running work, uh, webinars and workshops um, and with an American audience, with a UK audience, um, with an Indian audience, And my wife has been doing some others. In fact, she was doing some stuff with uh, groups in Hong Kong. And the engagement levels are radically different. The Americans are like chitter-chatter, chitter-chatter the whole time, like on the chat, and they're asking loads of questions. The Brits are more like reserved. They'll ask a few. They'll comment a bit. Um, But over in the Far East, India was also very, very chatty. But over in the Far East, in Hong Kong now, maybe to do with what's going on in Hong Kong at the moment, but... She was saying it was like really difficult. They all had their screens off and they all were not engaging much with the chat at all. So it's very different with different um, environments or cultures, you could say. Yeah, so that's like a learning journey and finding out how do we actually get the the best possible engagement, but also 
trying to figure out uh is it i'm actually doing the right thing as the trainer and uh, the person who delivers because i i can follow what you say about being in the room you can read so many signs and you can adjust your 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 things uh, accordingly to that so so you are on a learning journey i guess uh, that you are reinventing part of parts of your business which is quite interesting i guess we all are on that journey one more either conscious or unconscious in the moment Totally. And we're, we're doing loads of research where, you know, um, we even did some mental health first aid training ourselves to be able to be more aware and conscious of the needs of people who may have mental health issues, because one in four people in the UK, this is pre-pandemic, right? One in four people in the UK will have a mental illness experience or episode in any given year. One in four. And that's pre-pandemic. We are going to be hit by an onslaught of people who are mentally unwell because of this pandemic interesting because we had this conversation before david around mental health where i i, I think we talked a bit about i say there's there's a there's a financial crisis coming ahead and there's the pandemic but there's also a mental health crisis that would be more expensive than any of these together and then you have climate change on the back of that so we're just up against as human the human race we're up against such a big thing but again if we don't keep our mental health what do we have then you know because that's that's how we operate. That's our operating system. As I said earlier, with, with regards to the stress thing, you know, and I've been some, through some pretty intense, stressful times myself at different times, um, it's very difficult to know when you're stressed. You often need feedback from someone else to say you're being obnoxious or you're being this or you're being that, you know, you're behaving inappropriately or you're, well, why are you so X? Um, you know, once I had, when I was with Business Link, my, um, uh, mother-in-law was living with us who had dementia and was hearing voices in the night and waking us up and calling the police and doing all sorts of uh, quite extraordinary things. And my manager was the one who said, David, you know, are you okay? And I wasn't. I wasn't okay. I was exceptionally stressed. Um, but that was a prompt for me then to go, you know what? You're absolutely right. I am completely stressed. We need to do something about this. Got a social worker involved and had, were pointed then in the right direction to help get the mother the proper care she needed, which, which was, you know, nursing home care. And that all worked very well. But this thing around um, leaders need to be aware of their own mental well-being and the mental well-being of their people, you know, because it's being sensitive to changes in behavior and not just blaming that person for being lazy or difficult or whatever. But just and this is the thing I learned last week on the mental health at first aid course was you need a bit more patience and non-judgmental listening. I, that's tough, you know, that's tough in a busy environment. I'm, I, I've got a hospitality background. You know, patience, listening quietly to someone, <laughs> that's not usually part of the hospitality vibe, is it? Um, we'll do that with customers, but, you know, not necessarily with each other. So we need, we're, we're seeing now more and more the need, and we're emphasizing with all our clients, the need for what we are calling compassionate leadership. Yeah, and uh, it's so interesting what you're saying there. You said, uh, I was just reflecting as well when you said, uh, have a bit more patience and listening. And I actually caught myself during the pandemic, besides doing doing the podcast, I'm also involved in a couple of business. I, I have people reporting to me. And there was one of them, which know me really well, said, Michael, you're here, but not here. I said, that's, that's very interesting. And then I started checking in on myself and asking my wife and my wife was also in a stressful situation with the kids and we were work and all that stuff and we in a way we just found out that we were actually it was we were just too busy and also and we were just focusing on 
results instead of being patient, as you say, and listening to ourselves, our own body and others' signs. Because I didn't see any signs of the people I worked with. I was just running the... The, the, I was in the front line as the, the, the general telling where the troops had to go. And uh, you can only, that people need that maybe in some situation, but actually what they need, they need to feel safe. And they don't feel safe when this uh, general just keep on setting ambitious goals and forgets that to look at himself, if he's actually function. So yeah, so I had that reflection a couple of months ago myself. And I know of, uh, then because I had that, I started talking with other leaders I work with or no, and, and they all said the same. Yeah, yeah. I, I caught myself at some point with just thinking, what the hell am I doing in this? I'm, I'm attacking this in the total wrong way. Well, it's, it's really interesting, actually. And it brings me nicely, this conversation brings nicely onto uh, something called the SCARF model developed by David Rock at the Neuro Leadership Institute. And it's a useful way for looking at what are the threat responses? What's causing stress in yourself and your people? Um, and SCARF is a nice way of um, remembering what the five elements are. So S is for status. Now, we as human beings are always looking at others to see where are we in the pecking order with the people we're interacting with. You know, um, do I have more status than you? Well, you're a podcaster. You're doing great stuff. Well, I've got my own business, but is your business better than mine? You know, my brain is doing that, right? I, I don't need to put effort into it. It's doing that. You know, do you have more followings on LinkedIn? Or uh, my brain is looking for those things. It wants desperately to compare me to you, to know where I stand in the pecking order. Uh, but it takes great effort, but I've learned how to do it. It's useless and only going to create suffering and pain if I do that. But what I'm better off doing is saying, okay, where am I now in compared to myself yesterday? And where do I want to be tomorrow compared to myself today? So a lot of people get very hung up on comparisons with others. And, you know, leaders are, are always doing this as well with a business going well or not going well or better than or worse than. And really, it's about helping the brain to not compare to others, but to compare to yourself. So you're comparing yourself to yourself. How can I be better tomorrow, a better person, a better leader, a better mother, father, uh, brother, whatever, um, so that I can be better in some way tomorrow than I was today and then get a sense of deep satisfaction from that? Because that's going to otherwise your brain is just going to be doing all that comparing, which leads to suffering. The next one is uh, C for certainty. Now, you've mentioned it yourself. We are in the most uncertain time we've probably ever been in. And there's been many uncertain times, right? War and then all sorts of other things have happened. But, you know, in this generation of the people alive today, um, probably have never experienced anything remotely like this. And the brain needs certainty. So without certainty, the brain gets very, very, very stressed. We, it is, in fact, a prediction machine. You want to know what's going to happen in the next moment with when you're walking down the street that you, you know, take one step in front of the other but also what's going to happen in the next day, the next week, the next month. So leaders need to be aware that that's happening with people. And with all of this uncertainty is to plan short term, make small short term plans and say, OK, what are we going to do this week? What is our plan for this week? Right. We've got the new rules coming in around rules of six. How are we going to manage that over the next week? And then the next week after that, and then and allow things to be very focused, but in quite a short period of time. You know, feedback mechanisms, the manual appraisal has completely gone out the window now. And really, it needs regular weekly, if not monthly, 
uh, feedback sessions to let people know how they're doing, what's progress, where they needing to progress, what do they need feedback on. Um, so certainty is, is a huge stressor at the moment that we need to do a lot of, um, we need to be proactive about countering that with short-term small goals and say, right, we know what's going to happen in the next couple of days. Let's act on that. And then the next one is autonomy. And autonomy, it's really interesting to see what's happening with autonomy during the pandemic, because a lot of people are rioting in the streets because they're being told to wear a mask. And they think it's a muzzle trying to, you know, suppress their independence or that they're going to be starved of oxygen. And these people are really angry about those things because they believe that their autonomy is at stake. So human beings freak out and your brain will freak out if your autonomy is curtailed, your ability to make a choice. So again, with your people, you need to be thinking that they're probably feeling quite stressed about the lack of autonomy at the moment. A lot of decisions being made around them and for them to say, help them be able to have some autonomy in their work, in their shifts, in what they're doing, even if it's very, very teeny tiny, small little things to say, OK, what bit of the mise en place would you like to do first? Or what bit of this task would you like to do first? And what would you do second? And what would you do third? What's the way you're going to structure or organize your rotas? Um, so that they have some sense of autonomy, because otherwise the brain is just going to freak out. And then the next one is R, which is relatedness. And again, relationships are very fraught at the moment. And it's interesting if we go back to, you know, when our brain was formed, you know, 200,000 years ago to 70,000 years ago, as we evolved, life was very, very simple. And if you were part of a little group of people and they were good at working together and hunting together and getting food together, protecting one another. If you were kicked out of that little group, your chances of survival were pretty low, right? The world was a very dangerous place, lots of creatures that would kill you. Or another tribe seeing you on your own would probably say, ah, there's a human being on their own. They're probably dangerous. Let's just kill them. So we have this ingrained brain fear of being out of relationship. Any relationship is actually so painful. The pain of a relationship breakup, as anyone will know who's been a teenager, um, is as painful as physical pain. And in fact, they've even done some research that if you're experiencing a lot of emotional pain, grief or loss or, or, or emotion, uh, emotions related to relationships, and they say that it's okay to take an aspirin or a paracetamol because um, it's the same as physical pain and it can actually relieve um, that emotional pain as well. So what do you need to do as a leader with regards to building relationships with your people or maintaining relationships with your people? Let them know you care. Let them know... Um, how you care by doing things that build relationships rather than undermine trust or undermine relationships. And there's many, many different things you can do around that with staying in touch and um, having uh, conversations which are meaningful. How are things for you? How are things for your family? Um, is there anything we can do as an organization or a business to help build better relationships? And then the last one is fairness. And that's all about making sure that there is a sense of fairness. And we share a, a deep sense of fairness with the other apes, actually. And because back in the, you know, back in the prairie, when we were sort of roaming around in little troops around 70,000 years ago, when we first started to, you know, think differently to other creatures that were around at that time, um, we built teams of people that were bigger than any of the other primates. None of the other apes were able to build teams as as good as and as well functioning as humans because we had a sense of fairness. 
I'll do this bit, you do that bit. I can specialize in this over here, you can specialize in that over there. I'll, you know, make the skins and the hides, but you catch the animals because you're faster or better, you know, with weapons than I am. But I'm skilled at producing the, the clothes that will keep us warm in winter. So that trade-off of fairness is so profound that they've done some very funny experiments with monkeys. If you look up monkey fairness experiment on Google, you'll see some very funny uh, videos about how monkeys will respond when they feel that they're being treated unfairly. So you need to be sure and very clear with your people that you're being fair with them. And if there's a fair, for instance, a case of furlough or redundancy, that you're explaining the process and saying, look, this is the reason we're doing this. This is the process we're following in order for you to know that you're doing it in as fair and equitable way as possible according to the laws of the land. Yeah, because the furlough right now is probably something that has uh, created in the beginning a bit of a safety blanket for many. They feel quite relieved they could go on furlough and they would still have their job. But I think as I speak with people, many start to see this as potentially at first steps to redundancy, especially when it comes to the hospitality sector. It's just prolonged the the, the period. And, and you can definitely feel the the clients the leaders i talk with my own people it's it's that is the thing so so what is happening next month when it drops down we had a, a team call the other day 10 and you just had to tell them well it drops down 10 and we will have to see in two weeks time where we are from a sales point of view because that's the only thing that can decide where we are from from furlough and sales is like really well connected. But just that you tell them there's a connection between that you you maintain your sales or grow your sales or we need to achieve this sales to actually to keep you all on and be honest about that. Actually change the dynamics as you say. You actually strengthen the relationship. Even though it's a nasty message, they actually take it on board. You could we we had a another catch up meeting this morning where actually I could feel that they all they were much more focused on survival as a group than they were just two weeks ago. And that and and it's and it's that thing about being honest and giving them the right feedback and the reasons why you're why we're doing it as we're doing. But it's interesting that you say giving feedback because the last thing you remember to do, uh, you talked about giving feedback in this situation is is actually having the time to get feedback and listen, isn't it? So what can you do as a leader? Because what you're saying is that they they need to give people short term direction, but also feedback to them how they are doing in this constantly. This is a fascinating topic and we're doing some workshops around this at the moment. And again, the latest neuroscience is showing that you need to take into consideration all of the things that I've just mentioned about the SCARF model, you know, the, the status, certainty, uh, autonomy, fair, uh, relatedness and fairness. Because if you don't address those issues, when you're speaking to someone and giving them feedback, they're going to be triggered by all of those things or a number of those things, and they will not be able to hear what you're saying and they will not change their behavior because of it, because they're just freaked out. So here's the thing. The latest research is showing that studies have shown that when a manager is giving feedback, they're very stressed themselves. It's an uncomfortable thing to do, especially if it's a performance issue, right? And when someone is receiving feedback, it's a very uncomfortable thing and there's a lot of stress going on in the brain. So it's a, it's a fraught environment. And what changes it all is to have a mechanism where I would say to you, Michael, as my manager, look, I know I'm developing this area here and I need to be able to improve my complaint handling. And you know, I've had some training on it, but I still get very, very nervous. I'm going to be doing some complaint handling um, because there's a table over there. Could you just observe and watch what I'm doing? Um, because blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I want to get better at that. I'm asking you for very specific feedback. 
And the more specific I can be, the better. So if it's a complaint handling example in a restaurant, um, what I could say to you is, look, from a distance, just observe my body language, right? Observe my body language and the body language of the client and then give me some feedback on how well my body language is matching or mirroring or being appropriate to the complaint. So then afterwards I can come back and go, right, Michael, what did you reckon? What did you see? And then you've got some very nice specific observations in a very narrow focus. And they found that when they wire up managers and people who ask for feedback, the manager's not stressed giving it and the person's not stressed receiving it. So you have to create an environment where people are willing to ask for feedback. But that takes, again, a mindset. And the managers and leaders need to start by being an example of that, by asking feedback from their people. So what did you think of me as a leader? What did you think of me as a decision maker in X situation? And as they ask, the leaders ask for more and more feedback, then they can say, hey, come on, guys, what feedback do you want? Hmm. So you actually you're you're being vulnerable and and open to 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 hear what other people think, and especially in in these times, I think it's very it's it, you have as you said it's it's all about your self development and uh, as a as a leader right now, but also then then you have to say to yourself, I have never done this before, so I need to get some feedback on what I'm doing right now because we're probably unconscious using a lot of old tools sometimes to to fix problems that maybe is not being fixed with the old tools or approaches and mindsets and communications models. And uh, I think many of us, uh, I think what I, I had a couple of conversation with people is that we, we have to, we have to get out of this war mindset that we are in the, in the trenches and throwing grenades out of the trenches falling in. We need, we need to get up on a more strategic level now and start thinking about how we move forward and how do we get our people with us on that journey? Because people, they get exhausted being in the front line, fighting all the time and putting out fires. Uh, and thereby you start losing your people, as you said before. And how do you actually, how do you actually get people to give you that feedback? Because again, if you've now been through this period of, um, you know, pressure and, and stress and in the war zone, how do we actually get people to understand now we are we are still in a difficult situation, but we need to change the environment we operate and communicate with, with each other and thereby you can start to get the feedback because I guess people will not give you feedback if they don't feel safe. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's the key thing. You have to role model asking for feedback in simple ways that you know you'll probably get a response from. And there's something that's a good guidance tool that we use around this to, to help frame the mindset for giving and receiving feedback in a healthy way. And it's called having a, a, a growth mindset. It was developed by a lady called uh, Carol Dweck, professor of um, psychology at Stanford. And she and her team did some amazing research to show that when we have a growth mindset as opposed to a fixed mindset, we're more open to trying something it not working and then learning from that so we can try again and do better. People with a fixed mindset tend to have a mindset of saying, I'm really, you know, naturally good at this and therefore I can do it really brilliantly. Uh, but if it doesn't work, oops, then I'm no good at it. And it's very much a brilliant, no good type of mindset where I won't even try to do something if I believe I might fail where a growth mindset is all about, hey, let's give it a shot, let's try it out. And that's what we've been doing for the last six months, really. It's like, let's try this in a workshop. Let's try that on a, on a webinar. Let's try this and that. And then learning from it and saying, okay, what worked well? What do we get good feedback on? How else can we adapt? And having that mindset of continuous improvement. So it's 
a growth mindset of a continuous improvement versus a fixed mindset of saying, this is just the way it is. Um, oh, that's, no, that's never going to work. Well, how do we know it's never going to work? We've got to try it out and see. Because the last time we tried it, it didn't work. That might be different. It might now be a different context. People might be open to new ideas now more than they ever were before. How do you, uh, because the one thing is that, you know, uh, as a leader, you uh, you're often a bit ahead of what you want to do in a team or your organization. And you have this growth mindset as a leader and, and you're there, you've got yourself calibrated, you're you're doing all the right thing, your morning routines and you come in full of energy, or you get full on energy on the Zoom call. And how do you actually start to work with your people? Because again, you said people can have different uh, experiences with the pandemic. Some people could have lost, some people could maybe uh, are worried about the future from a financial point of view. Some people have struggled having kids at home and do homeschooling and and, and running uh, three meals a day and so on. Everybody have different challenges. And then then you come in the door. Hey, guys, I know what we need to do now. We need to have a growth mindset. And I guess it's not how it should work. But what is your what is your like roadmap to give to leaders to help their people become more? It is about doing a little bit of research about it yourself. So you learn a little bit about the concepts. And we run workshops on that sort of stuff. So we run workshops for leaders and we also run workshops then for whole teams. And we can do that now using our online mechanisms. But, you know, you can also just read up about it and find out, watch videos. There's some really cool stuff. We can maybe put some resources around growth mindset into um, the the resource pack that goes with this podcast. And be, be able to start asking people simple questions like, how are you doing? What would you like feedback on? How are things for you? What are you working on to develop at the moment? And asking questions like, how are they doing at the moment? You know, can you, for each, before a team meeting starts, whether it's online or not, is just say like, okay, one word to tell me how you're feeling right now. I often do that on my webinars. And it's really interesting to see that, you know, you get that real mix of people going, oh, I'm really excited. Or people saying, well, I'm very exhausted or I'm really sad. And then you go, okay, so we've got this mix of emotions going on. How do I stay present to that and not act as if it's all okay? It's like, good, let's keep the people who are motivated upbeat, but let's also try and recognize the people who are not okay as where they're at and help them on that journey to being okay rather than denying that anybody's okay. Yeah, and I think the interesting question here is it's sometimes, in, especially in in organization that's been part of myself, is that is it okay not to be okay? You know, it's okay to express this, even though everybody can see it, but you would never express that you're not okay again. And that, again, I, I guess that takes a lot of feeling safe in that environment, your partner, the ability to facilitate that safety in a way in an environment. Because I guess... This is our biggest job as leaders right now is to make people feel safe uh, because if we want any outcomes, we need to start back to basic, make them feel safe to get any kind of performance out of them. Absolutely right. You say back to basics, and that's where we're helping a lot of our clients to really consider what are the fundamentals that you should be doing even during good times. Because a lot of the time, people are too busy to have that meaningful conversation with an individual to take an extra five minutes to be with them and ask them, are they okay? And to give permission for them to be not okay. Because if someone isn't okay and you continue to pressurize them, they'll probably get a lot worse and then you'll have some serious problems. Like they'll go off sick or whatever, have you know stress issues. But I'm not going to kid you. I know what it's like when I was a chef to say you weren't okay. That was 
simply not a safe thing to do. And so it depends on the environment. So if you're not feeling okay, and this goes for leaders as well, you need maybe to talk to someone outside of the business, have a mentor or a coach, or get professional help. Because everyone, you know, it was great. On the mental health first aid course, it was really interesting to learn that it's helping the person to recognize that there's an issue. Once they recognize there's an issue, helping them to get support. So as a leader, you need to constantly be checking in with yourself, with your partner, with your loved ones, with your closest, nearest and dearest, um, that you're feeling okay, that they're seeing you be okay. And then some trusted members of maybe your senior team, but you don't want to be going around, you know, getting your emotional needs met by your staff. That's not appropriate. So it's about finding out who are your confidants to be able to have this vulnerable conversation with, but then creating an environment where you can help other people and other staff have that with one another as well. So they don't have to come to you with their issues, but that they can go to one another. Or what, of course, a lot of other businesses do is have an um, EAP, an assistance, uh, an employee assistance program. that allows the staff to have uh, a, an independent, confidential conversation with someone. This crisis is uh, is ongoing and developing all the time. People talk about a second lockdown, a new phase of the pandemic, and and business and and people will never be the same. Is my view after this event. The world have already fundamentally shifted, maybe one or two times, and uh, maybe we can't see really. If we look from the outside, sitting out in uh, in in space, we probably look at this and think, "Wow, there's all this going on in such a short time." What would that do to to employees? What kind of employees are we working with? If you take it from a leader's point of view, what what is changing from the employees you had pre-pandemic to now? It's not even post-pandemic, in the pandemic. It, it, that's uh, it, it's a really interesting question because. You know, before we had all this thing around uh, millennials and their high demands and their expectations being off the scale about what the realities of work could really offer them. Um, now they're getting that they're in a very um, vulnerable place now because I'm, part of my concern is that they're going to become a lost generation if we don't watch out. You know, their education is being disrupted or the ones coming into the workplace are coming into a workplace that hasn't been as devastated by external factors compared to anything since the Second World War, really. So I think we're going to see a lot of vulnerable people. You know, they may have self-esteem issues. Um, There may be this pandemic generation that's going to need more encouragement, more um, support in a way that we wouldn't necessarily have expected to, to help them say, come on, you can do it. You know, this is possible. Look, all of these people around are flourishing. You can do it too. Because they're in danger of creating a fixed mindset around the world going, oh, it's no, none, none of this is my control. I've got no agency in this. Um, it's, it's, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. And that, can lead, that mindset can lead to depression. But I think there's something else that's going to be happening with a lot of young people and, and the staff coming into the business now is they're seeing some very interesting role models in politics where it's okay to break the law, uh, where it's okay to tell lies where it's okay to say that you're doing a whole bunch of stuff which is simply not happening. And, you know, as role models, I think that's a really interesting uh, meta sort of environment that a lot of people are growing up into and going like, oh, well, if the politicians are doing it, then I can do that too. So we may also see a lot of people um, not telling the truth on their CVs or on, on, on even their work history or whatever. 
So I, I don't know. That's just my thinking at the moment around this. It's it's a very interesting area. And, and that's just, it's not a fact. It's just, I'm thinking like, hmm, it's going to be interesting to see and speak with younger people now around what the impact of the pandemic, but also the, the current political environment is having on them. Yeah, and it's interesting about how you, you set uh, standards, isn't it? Suddenly you, you, you are setting a new standard that doesn't actually, maybe it's not a, a healthy standard, but it's definitely... You think, well, well, so many people can get away with it. This is maybe the way to rule, to get true life exactly, and get get what you want. And I think it's a very interesting observation. I haven't thought about that as the, the younger generation goes in. And they also will, it's quite interesting. I talked with a very senior person in, in a company the other day, and they are having a lot of interns starting every year or the first year. And he said that it, it's, it's, we have been able now to go in and have a couple of meetings in the office and meet them. Because you know how 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 are they going to be successful in their job if the first year of their job is so unstructured and happens on Zoom? Is it we we need to meet? We need to help these people learn how to get into the job market, and also make them feel that this is not all only chaos. There is actually there is actually some plans. He said, and, and and he said that his biggest concern is that if they can't meet up on a regular basis, how how, how are they going to be? up to scratch when you know things becomes a bit more you know we have to rebuild as he says in a year's time we need to find a way how, how they're not going to be up to scratch because they don't know the business well enough because they've experienced the business through zoom which it's not possible he said and even if you want it or not it's not possible for many businesses because they need that interaction to to learn and train them as well and and find out where they are as young people as well in all this Absolutely. And all of the, you know, uh, they call it, Americans call it water cooler moments, but, you know, lunch together and um, walking down the corridor together, having a cigarette outside together, all those little moments where you just chat with people. That's one of the things that is deeply damaging at the moment. We don't have the informal connections and we need to find ways to help people have more informal connections to allow those, you know, conversations to just wander a bit there's not a there's not a purpose to the conversation the purpose is to relate to one another to hear and listen to one another i'm part of a, a little micro group where we meet every monday and say what we're going to do during the week every monday morning and then every friday afternoon we also connect for maybe an hour or so and it's pretty unstructured you know we just say how the week is what what have we noticed what have we observed what have we learned and what insights are we gaining from this current situation and it's it's a really nice heartwarming experience to just share openly with people who you care about there's only four of us in the group um and it's it's i'm finding that very very powerful very very supportive and that's very interesting and because that's again a tool to keep uh, sanity as we talked about before because again it brings a bit of meaning to maybe to the situation because there there's probably some some small happy stories within your conversation as well it's not only that what's going wrong in the world but actually that you can hear others are uh, on the same journey or having the same challenges also sometimes can can take you through things it doesn't feel like you are you are the uh, you are it's, you are the only one with these challenges absolutely that's very much the purpose of it that we're not alone um, we're supporting one another we're learning you know from what other people have tried and what we could then perhaps try we're networking like crazy in pointing each other in in different resources that we've either come across during the week or 
that we know of. Um, but it's interesting that on one level, there's that, right? There's that connection with others, which is so important. But the other thing, um, I've, I was fortunate that I learned how to meditate when I was 16. You know, it's now more than 40 years ago. And it's still a daily part of my life. I regularly meditate, go completely quiet within, focused on nothing but my breathing twice a day, every morning, um, before breakfast, and every evening before dinner. And that again, it's, you know, talk, people talk about um, the the difference from when working from home about needing to maybe walk around the block so they get into work mode. But I suppose in many ways that bookends my day. It gets me into gear um, and gets me sort of into a more relaxed mode. But that that's sell, I can't recommend it highly enough. I know it's not for everyone, but some form of being still, being able to listen to how you're feeling, notice the sensations in your body without giving them any meaning, to be able to calm your mind down enough to know that you are, in fact, safe. And when you have that sense of safety within yourself, you can be a better leader. You can, you can project that level of safety for your people that they will then feel more comfortable sharing perhaps some issues that have happened that you need to know about that if they think you're stressed, they won't tell you. And then you find out about them when they're a really big issue and then it's too late. That that's uh, you know I, I would only agree with you. Meditation is extremely powerful, and there's so many ways it can be done to fit it into to your type of personality and so on. Uh, and I have my morning routine as well. With uh, uh, I call it framing, almost framing my my mind before the day starts, and uh, and I often so my brain can start calm down. Would have some kind of five minutes of uh, quietness as well just to to calm down from the day because there's this intensity things are moving in the moment it's a bit like it's it's the first time i i understand what it is to be a top athlete and have to go out performing in a game more than maybe once or twice a week you know take nba players or today football players to play champions league one day and then they play the premier league the in the weekend the amount of focus that takes an athlete self care uh, to manage this, and I don't think I got it right in any way yet. I'm learning that. That's probably one of my. Le- I had to accept uh, during this thing that there's so much to learn. It's like you are back to scratch. You have some some things in your back from experience, but you're really relearning all these things about yourself and how you manage pressure and and so on. Um, resources because you you mentioned a couple of things uh david you know because i know you you read a lot and you you also uh, people can go on on and find you on linkedin uh uh and see how you talk about different model uh, i don't know if you've done one on the scarf model i've got a whole series yeah so i i'm i'm having great fun um putting together the food for thought videos which are 150 seconds right it's two and a half minutes of getting a, a, a clear point across with some tips and something to think about. And uh, yeah, I regularly post them. At the moment, I'm more or less posting one a week, one every two weeks. But there is a series, and I can give you the links so you can put them in the resource pack for the five, it's six actually, videos on the SCARF model, one with an overview, the other going through each one. I've also got a series of articles, five articles that I wrote uh, recently, post them on LinkedIn um, about each of the five elements of the scarf model and there are some other uh, resources on the website around short videos tips and um, resources for improving performance um, you can learn more about our growth mindset approach on the website as well so it's talent for performance with the number four talentforperformance.co.uk um, check me out on linkedin david 
I think it's David C. Klassen. Um, and just put in David Klassen. I think I'm one of the only David Klassens there. Uh, but one thing I would re request, if you're going to ask, if you're going to check out and connect with me on LinkedIn, I get a lot of invites to connect. Please do give a reason. Say why you were listening to this podcast or give some sort of comment. Don't just click connect because um, otherwise it's, it's you think, well, why does this person want to connect? It's nice to know why people want to connect. So I'm very happy to connect with people, but it's nice to give a reason. And any books that people should be reading right now that you've been inspired by through all this? I know that you, you are, you're plowing through a lot of books. I am, and a lot of articles as well. Um, it's interesting. There's a book that I do love, and um, I came across it uh, prior to the pandemic, but it's so important during the pandemic, and it's called Conversational Capacity uh, by a guy called Craig Weber. And we've been working closely now with the author to develop a program around it and um, some behavior analytics around it so we can um, see what the level of com conversational capacity is within a team. And it's all around this stuff. That we talked earlier about safety and psychological safety. Um, conversational capacity is the key to generating psychological safety. It's like you could say a training manual on how to communicate effectively, and especially as a leader, to not necessarily give your opinions as the truth, but to give your opinions as a hypothesis and ask people to question them and ask people to say, well, what do you think? And it's this whole piece around inviting critique, inviting people to challenge your thinking so that you can get to better thinking and better decisions and use all the brains around you for the resources that they are. Um, and another book, that's Conversational Capacity by Craig Weber. And the other one is uh, a real favorite of mine for a long time now already, since I first read it in 2007, called Your Brain at Work. And that's all about um, the neuroscience of effective leadership and effective productivity and effective achievement understanding your brain to be more compassionate with yourself to recognize you've got this thing it does its thing right it's you know two hundred thousand years old uh, but you're trying to cope with uh, this crazy world that we live in and it, it's not really equipped to do that it's not designed to do that so we need to be very compassionate with ourselves and recognize that we've got this little old-fashioned brain um, desperately trying to make sense of this crazy world um, so we need a lot of compassion for ourselves and others. So Your Brain at Work by David Rock. And he also goes into great detail about the SCARF model, actually. Super, super. Very interesting, David. So, David, in the end of the podcast, I always uh, ask the, the guests to uh, give their three top advice to, to leaders or people out there looking for, in the world we are in today, ways of bouncing back and you've already been giving a lot of concrete advice and as I, I've said before what I really love about you doing is that you give people tools so they can apply it to their work and they can actually start to see change coming in and but what would your three top advice be to, to leaders right now from from what you know about the world well it's a bit like what you said earlier about I still believe it's back to basics you know share your vision and the value that you want to give your customers. You need to let your people know why you exist as a business. And what are they fund what is the business fundamentally trying to achieve for customers? Um, and then help the staff to be able to find ways to do that. Be that serving them in a particular way, uh, listening to their needs in a particular way, having conversations with them in a particular way, so that you really can communicate that vision and that purpose. And then involve them, you know, ask them how they can add value to the business or add value to customers. 
if everyone's clear about what the organization or business is trying to achieve, most people have some ideas about how to improve things and listen to them and act on those things so that you let them know that you're listening and acting. And, you know, there's great platforms that you can use these days that are very cost-effective ways of doing pulse surveys of different sorts and asking uh, regularly asking questions of people, just simple things that they can fill out on their phone to generate those ideas. And I suppose the last one will always come back to deeper self-awareness, you know, really understanding what is it that drives you and what is it that really motivates you? How can you develop a growth mindset with everything you do so that you can be compassionate with yourself and help yourself to grow and be aware of what triggers you? What are your stressor triggers and what are you doing to, to look after yourself and maintain your own well-being through meditation, exercise and good food and good sleep? That's really interesting. You think that you're talking about the pillars in life, you know, starts with I'm just uh, reading a book now. I'm not done with it. It's called Why We Sleep. Oh, and, yeah. And it's it's such a powerful book. If you, as a leader, just it as it's a lot of leadership books to read. But if you read that and start applying some of that thinking that actually, if you don't get your sleep, then it doesn't matter how well you eat and how much you exercise because the foundation, the the, the engine, the, the everything is built on is sleep. And uh, and I would say that was a bit of a wake up call for myself because I'm a bit like <laughs> play hard, you know, five hours I can do it. Two young kids, uh, and actually after I started applying that for the last, you know, it's it's it's, it's a heavy book, but it's taken me about I'm I'm probably about seventy percent now. But now I've actually I'm actually sleeping one and a half hours more a night, and it have literally changed that actually I'm exercising more effectively. I'm eating much better because you don't get these slumps of cravings or drinking too much caffeine and all that. And actually these small behavioral changes I can already see from taking care of yourself. And it's so funny. You just mentioned that there because that's exactly what I'm experiencing as well. If you don't take these foundations, your, your sleep, your diet and exercise first and get that managed into your calendar, everything else is going to fail at some point. Absolutely. It's unsustainable. Yeah. And of course, there will be the weird days where you work a long day to meet a deadline, but it cannot be repeatable. That's what you do all the time because there's so much to get done. Okay, here's another book then on, that also helps with that called Atomic Habits by a brilliant author called James Clear. He's a wonderful writer. I really love his stuff. He also has a fantastic blog. Um, but Atomic Habits by James Clear is all about that. He's a phenomenal guy who's also a very accomplished photographer, but actually he's a bodybuilder. So he knows a lot about the body and how to look after the body to have maximum performance. Yeah, and coming back to again to to tail off our conversation here, it's a it's a bit like a, we have to respect ourselves and our body and our mind as much as athletes, the top performing athletes are doing. And there's a beautiful program that's available on Netflix in the moment with Michael Jordan and the success of the Chicago Bulls. And you see a superstar like him, how he both failed and succeeded, but it all came back to his own self-leadership. And uh, it's fascinating to see that you can, if you really get on top of that and managing yourself, and some people say he was tough, some people say he was unfair, uh, but it, he again, in the end, they won six titles and he had primarily the same team with him all the way. Wow, um, that's saying something. Yeah. So again, and just a different way to learn about, you know, leadership and, and growth mindset. 
David, uh, this this has been an absolutely uh, super conversation. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that that want to uh, hook up with you, and you already said how they can do that via LinkedIn. And we're going to put all the uh, links in the, in the show notes for people as well. So uh, I, I will give you all the power and energy as well that you need to go out there and have the energy to help people because uh, that's what you do. And I know that takes a lot of energy to to, to go and, and help other people with, with things they are struggling with. Great. Thank you very much. This has been a delight. David, what a great conversation. Lots of really practical advice on how to boost your own performance as a leader as well as your team. If you like to get inspired by similar stories and uh, insights, you should tune in to our episode number 40, Organizational and Individual Happiness with Lars Koyul. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a like, share, rate, or subscribe to one of our channels. Tune in next time for another interview. And in the meantime, find out more about us and subscribe to our community and download free leadership tools at hospitalitymavericks.com. Thanks for listening and be Maverick.